DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Mark Miller. DJ and PK in the morning, brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. All right, PK, there was a lot of basketball over the weekend. A lot of people listening to this here. Their favorite team was playing, although there's a wide range of favorite teams. If you want to be happy and talk about the good news, it would be about the Aggies. Those were two really good wins for them. And if you want to talk about the bad news, the Utes, after getting Stanford, how in the world did they blow that halftime lead and lose to Cal? Cal coming in as the 11th place team in the conference. Gave up 50 points in the second half. It was terrible. And then somewhere in the middle of that is BYU. Uh, probably a little closer to the Aggies since it was two wins. And and, uh, and, and I don't think they were marquee wins in the way the, you know, they, they didn't beat teams that, uh, you know, have been good and have been NCAA teams the way San Diego State has. So I don't know if it's that good of wins, but there's still two wins on the road. So there's still good wins. You're talking about the Cougars, the two yeah. wins in a row? Well, I think St. Mary's has been an NCAA tournament team a bunch of times. Uh, uh, what, what, which, which but we ones talked about, about we talked about them on Friday, so I wasn't right. So, uh, but then they beat San Francisco on on Saturday. That was, a, that good was win. a nice win, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I expected them to win. I mean, the St. Mary's one, I didn't know about that, uh, but yeah, we did talk about that on Friday because it was Thursday night that they played. Uh, San Francisco's fine. Uh, they're San Francisco's a decent West Coast Conference team. It's about the best I can give you. Uh, and with that in mind, that tells you, okay, it's probably what they're shooting for is the NIT, really. If you're a decent West Coast Conference team, uh, that's the best I can do for you. Uh, but the Cougars, just about accumulating as many wins as possible and then find a way not to get blown out by Gonzaga, <laughs> which St. Mary's sort of did uh, on Saturday. They just flipped it because the Cougars were on at 6 and they went right into Gonzaga. So you had a little decent West Coast exposure on Saturday uh, as far as that goes. You know, and Gonzaga, obviously, they're all that. Uh, and St. Mary's played them actually led by 10, I think, in the first half. If I remember, I was flicking back and forth because – you know, we had NFL going on at that point. Uh, so, yeah. But when, but when Gonzaga only wins by 14 and not 30? Right, right, right. Somehow right. it's – we don't like yeah. to talk about moral victories, but deep down we know they're out there. And this was one for St. Mary's. We lost, yeah. and we're 0-3 in the West Coast Conference, but they didn't humiliate us. Right, they didn't. I mean, yeah, yeah that, that's the level of you're talking about. I mean, they humiliated BYU, basically. And if you want a little bit of uh, Colorado State as far as Utah State, St. Mary's beat Colorado State by 20 earlier in the season in a game in which Colorado State only scored 33 points is the total. But the most perplexing, and I'm writing about that, uh, I don't know if our website is working yet, Yak, so if you can't find it there, they'll post it uh, this morning at ksl.com. And it's about Utah. And afterward, uh, Larry went to the basically the fatigue card and how they were playing four games in one week. And that doesn't happen in college basketball. Okay. Uh, he Basically, the, thing, the point that I'm writing, and it'll be posted this morning, my buddy Josh Furlong over at KSL will handle it. I just sent it over to him. And uh, the headline is, you know, the, the gist of the story is, okay, you claim basically that you were tired, which gives you something in common with Ute fans, because Ute fans are tired of the mediocrity. 
And I don't take any great delight in saying that. But this program is mired in mediocrity. And I listened to the post game uh, on Zoom Saturday night. I didn't get on it, but I was listening to it. Uh, and he got testy with, I think, Newman of the Watchdog asked him a question about taking a step back. And he didn't want to hear it. Well, yeah, you're right. You didn't take a step back. You took 10 steps back. Legitimate question, 100% legitimate question. Uh, Losing to Cal, which came into the Huntsman Center at 1-6 in the conference. And you're up by 15, and you lose that game? And what the hell questions do you expect? Can you tell us how great you are when you were up by 15? Nobody cares about that. All the questions are going to be slanted towards the negative. You had four games at home. You lost three of four. All three, you held double-digit leads, if I remember correctly. You did. And against Cal, which was, you know, once it's one thing to lose to Oregon. Uh, and who was the other one that they held a double-digit lead to that they lost? Um, Colorado. Uh, yeah, okay. And Colorado's a decent team. They've... They've been pretty decent now for a few years in basketball. Boyle, they're not, uh, you know, like a Sweet 16 contender, but Boyle's got them at least decent over there. And so the point being, you can understand it to a little degree. And then you beat Stanford, which was by far your best game of the year, certainly in conference, but probably overall, most definitely. Not probably, but definitely. And then Cal, 1-6. and six, And Cal's missing their best player. They're missing their best player. Didn't play. And you lose at home. Mark Harlan has got to make a change, and I don't know that that change means you got to fire Larry. I'm not saying that, but something's got to change. This would be a, and it appears it will be a fifth straight season without going to the NCAA tournament. Since they expanded the tournament to 32 teams, and since they expanded it to let in teams that didn't win the conference title, those things Mm -hmm. happened a year or two apart in the mid 70s. So 45 years, that's happened twice. And this is, you, you got to give Gonzaga credit. All-time Gonzaga isn't one of the best teams in the West, but over the last 20 years they are. But over the last 50 years, only Arizona and UCLA have been better than Utah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, over Clearly. the last 20 years, you got to put Gonzaga in that boat. And uh, so when you say they're mired in mediocrity, they were mired in mediocrity. They're, over the last two years, they're literally three games over 500. And, and in the league, they, are, they were exactly 500. They were 18 and 18 over the last two years. But this year, this isn't, this isn't going to be mediocre. This is on track for bad. This yeah, I haven't given up yet. Five, five and six overall and two and five in conference? And you're going out on the road? I mean, Cal, Cal's only win in league was over a Washington team that hasn't beaten anybody. Mm-hmm. It, and so we're already getting, I'm already getting uh, people <laughs> listening to this reaching out to us like, because I said the Cal loss didn't make sense. And a Ute fan says, it does make sense if you go big picture. They just lost all the games. What doesn't make sense is how they beat Stanford for one of their two league wins and seven tries. Otherwise, no, what you have, I, I, otherwise, what you have is a team that just routinely loses, no, and that makes sense. No. They're not a good team. Well, but see, the problem with that is they're not getting work start to finish. They're playing well in first halves or stretches, usually in the first half, but stretches. So, no, I, I can't accept that premise. I get what you would say and what he's saying if it's based on 
a consistent pattern of poor play. But you've seen but too many not. good 15-minute stretches. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. And I'm watching that game on Saturday on ESPNU. I'm thinking, all right, this is the way I thought it would go in this game. So they go 2-2 two and two on the homestand. Uh, it's not great. I get it. But, you know, you showed signs of the development and you blew some leads. But then to blow the lead against California, I can't accept that. At least to a degree, I can comprehend Oregon and, and Colorado. Oregon's But better. I can't yeah. comprehend Cal. No, no way. Not this year. Not under the circumstances. I don't care if you play 10 games in a row. Get out of town, man. Mark Harlan's got to do something. Something's got to be done. I don't know exactly what that is. I'm not getting paid the level to say, oh, they got to do this or that. But Mark, and, and Mark, uh, you know, I, I think he's awesome at what he does, and, and I get along great with him, and we have some fun. He went to the U of A and all that stuff. And I appreciate that he's supported in all of his public comments, at least the ones that I can recall, he supported Larry. They got put on uh, some NCAA issues in the summer of 2019. I, I think they went and saw some kids play when it was not permissible to do it or something. I mean, I, I mean, not that I just look at the rules and, and oh, they broke them, but it's a blow it off. But you know they're it's not they're not paying guys to the level of the way some guys are breaking rules here. I don't want to dismiss that they broke the rules, but anyway, uh, at that time Mark was talking about Larry and saying about his integrity and all that. And I do think Larry has integrity. I don't think there's any question about that. I like the man personally. I certainly want to see him succeed. There's no question about that either. And then, but they've lost all these players. And then Mark will say to his. And he's right. Well, it's just the nature of college basketball. And it, and it is. And it's now getting that way in football, too. We see it. But Utah has lost a bunch of guys that Dave Rose would call program players. And Gotch was the one, the latest one. Not that he's a big stud, but he was an experienced kid. And so it stands to reason if you're a decent college basketball player, you're going to be more decent when you're a junior and senior than you were when you're a freshman and sophomore. You know, you can be a stud early, and you're going to be a stud late. And if you're a stud early, you're probably gone to the NBA anyway. But he's losing so many guys, and Mark, even though it's a statement of fact, will say, well, that's just the way it is in college basketball. I agree. That's the way it is. But you have to overcome it, and they're not overcoming it. The so they've got to have something different here. This is a proud, proud program. And as you said, it has been a great program at times across generations going back to the friggin' 40s. They've made 29, I counted this, they made, they've made 29 since 1944, I think, 29 NCAA tournament appearances. And they've won the conference title, interestingly enough, across multiple conferences 29 times. And, yeah, okay, I didn't necessarily expect to recreate the Majerus run, which was incredible. I understand that. But I expected more than this. And it goes back. It predates Larry. So we can't just dump everything on Larry because when he inherited the program, it sucked. It's 15 and years. And he did a this. remarkable job by its fourth year, I think, getting it to the Sweet 16 and then the next year. But you look at that; those two years, okay, it was on the strength of two NBA guys, three if you want to throw in Kuzma, but mostly it was on the strength of Pirtle and DeLon Wright. Well, DeLon Wright was a junior college guy that somehow you ended up, and Pirtle was a foreign guy. 
and he goes to the NBA. I don't know that you can count on a junior college kid who's going to go to the NBA and a foreign kid to be the foundation of repeated recruiting success. That seems like it's somewhat of an anomaly. And they haven't gotten the talent, and then they get some talent, and the talent leaves, and you're constantly in the state of rebuild, and it's just not working. And it bothers me. So the transferring thing, you know, yes, kids transfer. And yes, a lot of kids transfer. And yes, you're going to lose some talent. But those kids are landing somewhere, you know. So do you gain as much talent through the portal as you lose through it? Or do you gain more? Uh, we're going to find out with the Utah football program here pretty quickly because they're bringing in a running back through the transfer portal. They're bringing in two quarterbacks, Multiple. two running backs, two running backs, yeah. two, two running backs. Two backs. Two I can't even keep track. Yeah. I had two quarterbacks right. and one running back. It's two quarterbacks two. and two running backs. Correct. And yeah. before that, they brought in two quarterbacks through the transfer, one of whom who turned around and left. And we get that because it happens. And so Bentley takes off. Okay. So you got Cam Rising, you got these two new kids coming in. Maybe the kid from Baylor will be the guy. So we're and we're seeing that obviously BYU basketball is using the portal left and right. Kids come and go, but kids are coming and going everywhere. So if you are losing talent, you need to bring more talent in. Oh, that's the bottom line, right? And you know, two two and five in conference is a big old red flag, and they're going on the road here, and there should be a win built in against Washington. But you hesitate to take anything for granted. But, you know, if they don't, even if that's the only thing they get, and then you're looking at three and seven, unless they win at Colorado, which I wouldn't think they're going to. Uh, maybe they win at Washington State. That seems more plausible than Colorado. Uh, yeah. But at this point, I can't predict anything because I thought they were going to yeah. lose to Stanford and beat Cal, and they beat Stanford and lost to Cal. So I clearly don't know what's going to happen next up there. Uh, but. You know, Jack Letty was let go after missing the NCAA tournament twice, and Boylan was let go after missing it three years in a row and four out of five. Now, they're in a league, in an era when the Power Five teams are getting a higher percentage of the at-large bids, they're now in a Power Five league. And, you know, more resources, more availability of NCAA bids, but it's, it's trending in the wrong direction. It's just, you know, you had the two NCAA bids, then you had the two NIT bids, then you had two years where you're right at 500 in the league and only three games over overall, and now you're five and six and two and five. I mean, this is, every two years is worse than the time before it, it seems, and, and the last two weren't good enough, you know, and they couldn't let him go, and I know that people screaming he should already be gone, but they couldn't let him go, he had a big buyout and it's a pandemic, you got all these financial issues, they couldn't. You know, so it gets another year. It's just the way it played out. It had to happen. But well, now, now they got the situation. It's, it's thirty-five million dollar deficit. It was fifty, mm-hmm. and then Mark said they cut it down fifteen. Right, it's thirty-five, and I think the reported buyout is close to ten mil. That's a lot of cash. I know it is. Uh, but I think the contract goes through twenty-three, twenty-four. Right. Uh, so with that in mind. Uh, what are you going to do? Are you going to just let the program slide and slide and slide until you get to 23-24? Or do you make a move? Now, Harlan can – it's tough to do right now, but we obviously we've seen it doing in football for double of that amount. Uh, Texas did it, and and, uh, I understand the financial ramifications. And I'm not necessarily calling for Larry to be dismissed either. I'm just saying they've they've got to make some changes somehow – uh, they've got to figure out what to do to make it better because now it, it is clearly, most definitely, 
trending in reverse. And we were told last year, okay, they have the youngest team, blah, 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 and things were going to get better. Well, who is really better from his freshman to sophomore year on this team? And really, who's better on the roster? Allen is a, Allen's a dude. He can ball. Right? He'll, he'll give you – he plays hard, and he's a good player. Uh, but other than that, you know, who's gotten better from last year to this year? Can I, can I single out someone or some ones and say he or they most definitely better from freshman to sophomore year? or if it happens to be sophomore to junior. Plummer's getting some more time. He's streaky, obviously, and if he can make some buckets, that'll help. And he's an exciting player if the ball's going in the hoop. He's like a little bit of a bigger, uh, the latter-day Isaiah Thomas, you know, both little lefties. Uh, he's not quite as small, but he reminds me of Isaiah Thomas a little bit in terms of, uh, you know, when he gets it going, he can be pretty good. But other than that, you know, I don't know that these kids have made the improvement. And some, something's got to happen because this is a proud, proud program. To me, when I look at tradition in this state, you have BYU football and then Utah basketball. Yep. In terms of tradition. I'm talking tradition over not just, you know, 20 years. I'm talking 30, 40 years. Uh, you a can, good long time. You know, thank, thanks to the old interwebs, you can now call up a list of the winningest teams in college basketball history. Utah's 12th on it. I mean, mm-hmm. you, got, you got the teams at the top you think you have at the top, Kentucky and Kansas and North Carolina and Duke. And, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, who do you expect to be at the top, right? And, and Utah's 12th. I mean, you get, you get past the UCLA's and the Notre Dame's and the Indiana's, and there's Utah. And if you do it by win percentage, that was uh, total wins, it, it doesn't change that much. You know, it's like, okay, they're not a top 10 program, but they're top 20. They, they've been to four Final Fours. And 29, I didn't know the 29 tournaments. You, you counted that up, you know? I did. So, and, and then in between somewhere is the Sweet 16s, and, you know, there, there's, a lot, there's a lot of tradition there. And it's just, to me, that they got that facility and got into the Pac-12. I mean, I, there were so many ex-players there when they opened that facility. And, you know, I, John Huntsman Sr. was still alive, and, you know, he and his wife's name is on it, and he was there holding court that day, and I am sure he called some players. Either that or someone in the athletic department said, John really wants you to be there. I mean, they were all there, and they all stopped to talk to him. <laughs> they all did. You know, and, uh, and so there were plenty of players to talk to, and talking to one of them, and he was saying, you know, it used to be an NCAA season was a good season, and NIT was bad. And if you got Sweet 16, that was a great season. You know, the Sweet 16 teams, that was, that was it. Now, now it feels like you're in the Pac-12 with this place? Holy cow, NCAA should be a given. And I guess the one thing that, and, and you said Larry had integrity, and I think the one thing that has to be out there, because you've got to be realistic about your program. You and I have heard stories that um, I considered jaw-dropping and eye-opening and unbelievable about what it's gotten like out there in college basketball. You know, you're talking earlier about how much Arizona's winning and there's all these allegations. Well, why are they winning? How much do you have to cheat to win at that level? And maybe that's a big part of the problem. And, you know, and you can change the coach, but if you don't want your team to cheat, and if that is how most of the elite teams are doing it, and, and maybe there are a few teams that are making deep runs, but, man, you and I have been told stories. PK, 
that, that people are getting, that, that star players are demanding money for a home visit, not to play for your team. Star players are demanding money for a home visit? That I had no idea. I had no idea when I heard that story. So maybe college basketball has changed a lot. But I, I think that you fans are looking around the Pac-12 and they're looking around the state and thinking, really? This is who we are now? I don't know. It, it, it seems like it, they've fallen a long way. And, and I know I, cheating's got more, more rampant, and maybe that's a big part of the problem. Maybe it's, and we see what's happening in Arizona, and certainly Ute fans want to compete with Arizona. <laughs> they really want to. Mark Harlan, it's a, lot, it's a lot of money. I guess I'll have to talk to a few key basketball boosters and see you know, what, where they want this to go because that was, that was a bad weekend for the Utes. It was a great weekend for the Aggies. And now they got it. You know, and Larry was talking about an NBA type schedule. Look at the Aggies turning around from a big game on the weekend and having another big game on Tuesday. This is very NBA ish for them as well. Yeah. All right. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Steve Cleveland's coming up. Jazz on a win streak. We'll talk to him about that. Did the balance of power change uh, with the Nets and the deal for Harden? And uh, what he thinks of the local college teams? We'll do all of that next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. We are T-minus 54 minutes away from Eric Weddle coming on the show with a flamethrower. Well, you got to start with that. <laughs> Eric, how are you? I uh, just sitting back. You know, it's one thing to be semi good at what you do as living, but it's even better to know mentally on another level than all you mere mortals. So, it is really hard in six NFL games to go five and one. On the flip side, it actually is also pretty hard to pick six games and to miss all six games. <laughs> you can randomly like close your eyes and pick between. <laughs> <laughs> one team or the other and be better than Owens. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision's New Year's special is going on now. Save $1,000 off normal pricing now through the end of January. Check them out now at davisvisionmd.com. Time to welcome in our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland. He joins us every week. Steve, good morning. Good morning, guys. I am curious about multiple things, but one thing I want to talk to you is about coaching a team on a streak. Uh, Jazz with uh, five in a row going into the Pelicans game. Aggies with eight in a row going into the CSU game. And the players must be aware of this stuff. How much do you address it? And also negative when it's a losing streak in that. How do you talk to players about that? Because you know it can get on their mind for better or for worse. I think you, you educate them. And, and teams that are on win, we'll, we'll look at the positive side that are on the winning streak. And uh, as you meet and watch film and prepare and have conversations with your team, you're talking about those things that you've done well. And, you know, going forward, every team that you play has a different challenge for you, you know, whether matchup, size, quickness, uh, a younger team versus a team that's maybe more mature, has lots of transfers. So, you know, I, I remember in, in, in my dealings with teams and we, once we got it going, I, I know there was a time when we had like 40-some, we had won 40-some games in a row at home. 
and that became something that people were talking about. And, and, and you can't avoid that when people talk about it or read about it, but you got to go back to what were those things that put us in that position to do those things. And that's what you remind them. I mean, there's the, the execution of an offense or a defense are, are all really important. And, but what really comes down to winning and losing is the intangibles and, you know, have, having a great attitude, uh, get your mind right. You know, being confident even when things are going against you. The intangibles, the the, the work ethic, that the you know, the willingness to continue to compete in every possession. It's usually the intangibles that sustain long streaks. Because if you have a long streak of something, we're talking from a positive mindset, means you probably got pretty good players. You prepared the guys, but winning and losing is going to come down to those that you know dive and get the loose ball or block out or, you know, the things that we don't talk a lot about but have a whole lot to do with winning. So for those teams that are doing that, you know, I I would say this to the coaches especially is enjoy it. And I think we get so caught up and we're so stressed out and it becomes more about losing than it is about continuing to play well and winning. So those are special times and every coach has them. Uh, when, uh, you know, whether it's in college or it's in, in the pros or wherever it's at, but you're constantly reminding them and when you watch film about why we've had success and that we need to continue down that path. And then when you see things break down a little bit, you obviously bring that to their attention. But you don't need to talk a lot about it. They know. But I think if you control the intangibles, the effort, the attitude, the selflessness on a floor, making an extra pass, Doing those kinds of things, uh, you 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 keep yourself in a position to extend those positive winning streaks and when things are going well. How much is it about your team as opposed to the team you're playing? Well, I, I think the majority of it is your team because you you don't have a lot of control over that other team. Now, what you've done, you've watched a ton of film and maybe you've already played them one time, and so you learn things about their teams and how they react to certain things. But I think most of all, you're trying to find out what the strengths of your team are and put your players in positions where they can be successful. And it seems pretty simple, but at the end of the day, whatever you're doing offensively uh, may not match up real well with somebody that you're playing. You know, maybe their strengths, they've got great size, you're going to have a hard time, you know, guarding at the rim and you're going to have a hard time guarding them. uh, in, in, on the perimeter because they've got great cards. So you assess the individual opponent that you're playing, and uh, and then when you do that, it gives people confidence. Just you, everybody's more confident when they're prepared, and when they're not prepared. And you know, as a coach, every coach can look back and go, "Wow, I didn't do a great job in preparation." Doesn't mean we didn't spend two or three hours doing something. We just had the wrong focus. We we didn't see this coming and. As I watch college basketball today, and I look at the close games, and yes, it does come down to execution, but what it really comes down to is if it's defensively, just having the toughness, again, the mindset that we're going to get a stop no matter what. Guys are connected defensively. Guys are connected offensively. So, yeah, it may be a special play, but oftentimes it comes down to the intangibles and making sure guys are competing and together 
and uh, are being selfless and unselfish on the floor and things that you've done. You know, I find that sometimes, and I'm, I was guilty of this, and I'm sure other coaches are too, you, you tend to overcoach. You know, things are going, we're going we're gonna to overcoach. You know what, let's just get them to do the same things even better. You know, focus on the simple things and get them to do that at the highest level repetitiously, and that's where they'll get their confidence. Uh, when you're, and I, I remember making these mistakes as a young coach and even at times in college trying to overthink the game and trying to do something new that seldom is. I mean, calling a timeout for an out-of-bounds play, yeah, you're going to do that once in a while. But uh, to change courses, to change the, the philosophy of how you're going to play in the heat of the moment never really works that well. You, you've got to just stay with what you know is true, what you practice, what you've perfected, and uh, and you go forward. It's not guys don't talk about that stuff a lot. You know that that's more for the media and the fans to talk about it. But you will on occasion in a team meeting. You know they'll look at each other. They know you don't have to talk about it. They know exactly what's happening here and who they're playing. So the Utes had a uh, their last coaching change was painful. Everybody transferred. The new staff had to come in. And you can't be more more ground zero than those guys building from the from the ground up. And they had a couple of NCAA teams, a Sweet 16 and second round in there. Then they had a couple of NIT teams. Then they had a couple of teams that are right at 500 in the league, barely over 500 outside the league. And now they're five and six, and they're two and five, and they lost three out of four at home. It's clearly going the wrong way, both in the small picture and in the big picture. Coaches stick together. If I've learned anything over time, all coaches, almost all coaches, unless it gets really personal, they sympathize with each other's struggles. They know how hard it is. Is there any advice you could give? Is there anything you could say that like, could help turn this thing around? Because it is really going the wrong way. You know what? I, we've, all, we've all kind of been through this. And I think the first thing you do as a staff is you really look at you know, what you believe, who you are as a team, and in the technical part of it, and making sure that that uh, we haven't missed something, and you know, and if, if the system seems to be good, then the system is good. And then, then obviously you're looking at players and looking at their mindset, and, and it's hard for players. We live in such a public world now with the you know just social media all, and all the different platforms of social media. They can see and be assessed and evaluated as soon as the game's over. That's not something I had to deal with a great deal with in terms of my players. But if, if there's anything, the most important thing you can do as a coach is really, really go out and connect with your guys. And, and, I, and you've got to know your guys. And you could, This is when your assistant coaches play a significant role. And listen, I, I was in the business long enough to know that when you have a staff where an assistant coach has another agenda than what the head coach has, uh, it's hard during these times to get kids to believe and to sustain it. I, I think the the best thing that Utah can do right now, the only thing they can control, is to, to focus on the positive things and then look at the negative things. Where have we got to be better? But at, at the end of the day, that coaching staff has to be up and positive and believing uh, rather than scowling and yelling and screaming and blaming. That never works. It never works, not with young people today. And you both know, you've lived long enough, the, the athlete today is different. They, they need, they want to, to know, be in the know. They want to be connected. They want to have a relationship with their head coach. 
I, I hear that all the time uh, from people that, you know, that a player is really connected to an assistant coach but doesn't have a relationship with the head coach. That's a long-term mistake. Not, not that you – of course the coaches are going to spend more time than the head coach, but a head coach really has to embrace their guys, embrace the fears that maybe they're going through or that maybe he's going through. And, and when you do that, you get that kind of honesty, uh, it brings out something, the intangible things that you can't teach, that there's something inside that says we're going to compete at a level we've never competed at. And that they may well play better than they've ever played and still lose due to the fact that, you know, they're playing somebody better or more experienced or whatever the circumstances. End of the day, you know, there's going to be someone to evaluate that coach, that team. And we know in the last 18 months, there hasn't been a lot of change because of COVID. Uh, We're kind of coming out of this COVID and there's been a lot of unfairness in terms of teams and what they can do and can't do. Everybody's had a different issue. But uh, I, I think first and foremost is your connection with your guys and getting them to believe and be positive with them. It, when, when it's hard and tough, it's not the time to watch screaming and yelling and finding fault. It's a time to come together and look at this from a different perspective and support them. And even in the little, and, you know, in practice, little things happen. Letting guys know, reinforce the good. Reinforce that's good. That's what we want to be. Um, but at the end of the day, this is a bottom-line business, even in college and pros, where over a period of time, if things don't work out, they make changes. I've lived through that a lot. You know, you stay in this business long enough, you live through those kinds of things. And uh, But i I got to believe that uh, that they'll do those things. And, and, you know, we like to see Utah turn this thing. I mean, they, they don't have a lot of depth, and, uh, you know, they, they've got to – they're, they're shooting, shooting the ball inconsistently at times. Sometimes those aren't things you can fix during the season. So, you, you know, you better look at the ends, the, the defensive ability of the team, the rebounding, loose balls, the, the intangibles, the things that really make a difference in winning games. If you're, if you're not shooting the ball well, then, you know, make sure that there's the one or two guys that can shoot or they're doing the shooting, but everybody can defend. And, uh, and, and try to turn this thing. They've had some good wins, uh, but they certainly this year it's been tough. And I, it's really hard for me to evaluate what this whole COVID thing can, it could be and what it looks like. Uh, I haven't been able to, the Fresno State, I haven't been able to go to practices and go public there, but I've talked to the coaches, and they've had a lot of experiences with COVID there, and it's, it's been very destructive. And so I think everybody, coaches, fans, everybody needs to be – uh, a little more mindful of, and, and maybe a little more tolerance with the fact that this last two years coaching has is, is not been an easy thing. Recruiting has not been an easy thing. It doesn't mean that coaching changes won't take place. They will, and if they're justified, they should. But uh, I, I am glad I'm not coaching during this environment because I can't even imagine some of the things that guys are going through where you don't play for two or three weeks because of uh, COVID protocol. So you look at the way Mark Pope has built his program, and it's heavy on transfers, right? I think this year where they start in three transfers, guys that just come into the program for, well, Barcelona's been there a couple years, but the, the guard and the center, this is going to be it. 
And you know, he's having a fair amount of success. And he did it last year, too, brought in. something a little, little bit of an unusual situation. Toulson was in the program and left and bringing in him and a couple other guys and these UVU guys. And he's had the success. Whereas you look at Utah, and they've had a slew of guys transfer out. They have brought in a couple of guys off the top of my head, uh, Bearfield, and then they had a kid from uh, Long Beach State a couple years back, a little smaller guard, and he was a player. So I'm wondering, uh, something's got to change with Utah. And, and, you know, when you came into town, uh, Utah was at its, literally at its zenith, you know, going to the Final Four and all that stuff. Okay. And so you, we saw that, and I was covering the team for the paper. But it was a different era. I'm wondering if you think that, Maybe one way to to rejuvenate the program is to start looking like Pope did and see if you can start bringing in some more kids on a one or two year basis. Well, I I completely agree with that. I mean, I, 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 we lived through that. I mean, when we came to BYU, you know, six or seven kids went on missions. That there was no, you know, there was just a couple of guys in the program. And I, I can remember telling my staff, I said, "Listen, number one, not one of us has any Division One experience as a coach." players yes but not not as a coach and i said i'm just looking at this thing from the outside if we're going to fix this it has to be fixed with transfers and whether that's a junior college transfer or college transfer whatever the circumstances were and i started thinking about you know who who we ended up you know you know you look back and, and you start thinking about uh, you know terrell a day travis hansen trent whiting kevin i mean Keena young Arugio, I mean, we could we name 10, 12, 13 people that we brought transfers in because we knew we didn't have the time to deal with the, uh, the mission to two-year mission piece as well as the time to develop players that would, could take two or three years. And, and we just felt strongly about that. And we all had connections there because we had all come from places and coached at places where, you know, we developed kids that were transfers. And so it was the piece that was important for us. We had to do that. I mean, there's, all, there's no way that we, we, can, we can do this. And you start looking, <clears throat> even Ron Lee is only there for a year. Uh, Brian Dignan, a young man that came in. Uh, Terrell Day, who came in. All of them had an influence. Travis Hansen was a junior college transfer. Uh, you, you go down the road and you start looking at, at the people that we brought in. And it allowed us to be successful sooner than we could get because we couldn't get a high school kid in the state when we came because uh, Utah was so dominant, had their hands on everybody, and we were just trying to prove that we belonged. So in the meantime, we did it this way. Well, let's let's go back now. I'll go for, move forward, and it's 2021, and we're we're looking at pretty soon in the, in a few months where every young man who's in a program can leave after a year one time without penalty and play. So what you're right. BYU uh, had Toulson last year. He had a, a veteran team that came back. And, and, and when you take a look at BYU's team this year and you look at Barcello, Harms, Everett, Harvard, those were all transfers. Now, you know, obviously some of them are from, two of them are from UVU, one's from Arizona. Well, you, you take those guys away and, and go the more traditional way with high school kids, you're not who you are. And, you know, Haas and Childs were in the program for a long time, but Toulson comes in. 
and gives them a huge spark. And so, yeah, I, I, I fully believe that you have you have to, to tap into the transfer pool. I mean, every year you've got to have your eyes and ears. And everybody's got to be open to when you go out and recruit. You're not just recruiting and watching guys play. You're, you're looking at other programs and seeing people that are unhappy and want to leave. And, and if, if they're the right people and they fit into your system. And I, and I think what happens, I would just tell you this, my experience, when you bring in guys that have come from community colleges or have come from another institution, it's not always been a bad thing, but typically something was wrong. And they have something to prove. And when you get a group of guys like that, they're all on the same page. I, I, I look at this BYU team and I've watched them play five or six games. And, you know, they're not, they're not a great offensive team. I mean, they're not putting up great numbers. They're not, there's not 20 and 30 point nights. But this team has a toughness to them, which I, I uh, look at and say, you know, when you come from somewhere else and things aren't right, you, you, your mind's different. I, I'm, I'm going to go here and make a point. I'm going to transfer. I'm going to defend. I'm going to do the things I got to do. And, the thing I like about Mark's team is they play with a sense of urgency. I mean, they, every one of them individually has something to prove. Marcello left Arizona. He wanted to be somewhere else. That coaching staff did a great job. You don't think it's important for him to come to BYU and be successful and let those guys know that he could, could have played for them if they had given him a chance? I'm not saying that's his thoughts. I'm just saying that's a potential scenario. You know, you're in harms who play to Purdue, and, you know, I, he had a good career there, but something wasn't right. He's ready to leave. He's motivated. And you've got a coaching staff that has played all over the country, uh, collegiately and professionally, and I just think there's a sense of urgency with this team. I mean, I, I don't think this is a great offense. I, I love what they do offensively. I love the attack mode of ball screens and back cuts and – all the action away from the ball. I love what they do. But, you know, this isn't a top 10 or top 20 team offensively. But I'll tell you this, defensively, they, they have really, really ratcheted it up from last year. And I, I just think it's they, they've made it really difficult on opponents. Uh, this is a team that really is, seems together and give the credit to the coaching staff and to the players for understanding how that works. And there's just, there's just a culture there right now where you bring guys in that all have something to prove and you get all get on the same page, there's a different energy there. And I think that's what you have. At, you, I mean, I had a conversation with Mark Pope a year ago. And it was just a, just a – I was in town and we just chatted things about the team and how well they were playing. And he just casually said to me, I don't think I don't think people realize how good this next year's team is going to be. And he said, "We'll see what happens and what falls out." But even he knew, and maybe too because he'd watch Harvard, you know, who was one of his players. And you look at the kid now, and he's having an impact. He, you know, every, you know, the, all of the players that he brought from his own. He knew what their capability was, and that gives you an advantage too when you get transfers who you've already coached. Uh, that lends itself to uh, a really, really, really positive situation in the locker room and on the floor. But this is a together team. I mean, they're they're eleven and three because they're defending, and uh, and and not to say they don't have really, really good, solid offensive principles. But what these guys are defending and rebounding, they play. You watch that last game. There was a sense of urgency, and you can get teams to play with a sense of urgency for, you know, 
30, 35 minutes a game, you're going to have success. And uh, so they, they're doing the right things. They got the right people with the right mindset. And, uh, and they're playing with, with a, a sense of urgency every time they come out on the floor. So I like this team. I think they're an NC2A team. If hopefully no one gets hurt and they can move forward. Two really good wins on the road. Uh, both those games they could have easily lost, probably should have lost. Uh, but give credit to them for getting stops in the second half and uh, their size uh, at the rim has been effective. But those were two two good wins that uh, that team needed to move forward. Steve, we got to run. We appreciate the time. Thanks for talking a little basketball, and we'll talk to you again next week. All right, guys. Take care. Have a good week. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Let's go! The Big Show. With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Are you a good actor? Uh, yeah, I acted in numerous plays. Give us a play and a part. I was in a play called The Octopus's Garden. And I... False. Yes, I played the part of the okay. octopus. And you played the octopus. It was a comedic role. Knocked that out of the park. You were so full of crap. <laughs> I did. Came so, down to me and Meryl you, Streep. You know, and poor I, Meryl. I, she got tree number two. You can at least tell us a real play. Oh, I played Conrad Birdie and Bye Bye no. Birdie or something. Don't give me... I played the octopus in no, Octopus's I, Garden. No, no, no you did it. It's true. And I helped write the play. Okay, that's it. The Big Show. Weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're going to talk with Will Gillery, New Orleans Pelicans writer for The Athletic. He's going to join us coming up. In just a few minutes, uh, PK, we just listened to Steve Cleveland there. We'd been talking about the Utes and how to turn things around. Do you hear anything there that gives you any thought on what could be done? Because it seems like maybe some transfers to bolster the program. I mean, I get that we didn't realize how good BYU would be this year. It's because we didn't see these guys play, and he had. You know, a year ago we had an idea because we'd seen a bunch of the guys play. It's like Utah football. You're going to have three quarterbacks battling for the job. Who's going to win it? I don't know. I've seen one guy play 14 plays. And, you know, these other guys, I don't know what they're going to bring. And even then, I don't know how they're going to fit in. You know, Jake Bentley talked about uh, at the end about, you know, how how different the offense was. Even though he had a lot of experience, it wasn't what he was used to. I don't know how these guys are going to fit. Transfers. The power of transfers. Yeah, but I think basketball is a little bit different in that regard as far as that goes. It's more about playing the game as opposed to systems. It's, you know, it's in that way, it's like an individual sport. It's about your talent. And right now, you look at the youth program, and there's not enough talent there. You can scream system and whatnot, and that matters to a good degree to an extent. But I think they need more talent. And you look at what Steve Cleveland's talking about. When he first got there, that program was a mess, obviously. And he just listed off the top of his head three or four guys, five or six actually, that were transfers that were significant players, Arujo, Lede, Travis Hansen, blah, blah, blah. And so these guys made differences in, immediately and got that program to where it was competing for NCAA tournaments. And, you know, that's what Larry did with DeLon Wright. And so maybe he needs to be more active in that way and turn over your roster because you're going to have a bunch of guys leave. you got to find ways to bring guys in. And it doesn't seem like they've been as active as they should be in a transfer market. When we come back, Will Gillery, New Orleans Pelicans writer for The Athletic, 
The Jazz play the Pelicans tonight and again Thursday. We'll talk with Will about the Pelicans next.